You are listening to highlights from the One Planet Podcast's interview with Rob Pringle, Professor of Ecology, Biodiversity, and Conservation at Princeton University. For me, the the initial spark of inspiration to to go into this line of work was just a connection that I always felt like I had to nature and wild things, and especially to wild animals. And that's something that formed pretty early on in my childhood through being out of doors with my parents and taking nature walks and and just being interested in wildlife but i think it's also part of the lineage of of humanity as well we are it's it's very easy to get interested in these things because i think people are of nature and have we spent much of our evolutionary history you know living in you know much closer proximity to nature to the point where this whole sort of human nature duality is is only really something that that makes sense to think about in very recent history. It's something I'm instinctively drawn to study. I think the case of Gorongosa in particular is appealing for for a couple of reasons. One is that it is a story of ecological damage that has been imposed by people, but it's also a story of ecological resilience that has been facilitated by people. It's a reminder of that a damaged ecosystem can you know, heal in dramatic ways over relatively short timescales, which is something I think that is really important to keep in mind as we think about these discouraging news about the impacts of humans on the planet and the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis. It's also important to keep in mind the recoverability of wild places and wild things. And I sometimes compare it to an injured patient. It is something that requires many things. It requires ambulance, hospital, doctors, nurses, and above all the body's healing and regenerative power. But you also want that process of healing needs to be guided by a working understanding of, of how the body works and they're guided by science. And so that's, that's part of the other role and part of the other attraction of Gorongosa is that we can try to glean insights from this ecosystem as it's recovering from this major disturbance that are useful there and elsewhere facilitating the process of recovery. And I think we, and, you know, there's a lot we can learn about fundamental ecology and evolutionary biology while we're at it. And the, the elephant evolution of trustlessness in elephants is a good example, you know, something basic reminder that human activity can drive evolution even of the world's largest animal, land animal on very fast timescales. Yeah, and it's I mean, that's a visual thing that we can see easily. And I just it makes me just wonder what are all the the minute ways that the those creatures that we're not aware of. I know you you're not just studying elephants, you've studied termites, you've studied, you know, just the whole ecosystem. So it makes us pause to think how large is this footprint we're leaving. But I love to hear that it's recoverable and in particular the the numbers of the elements of nature that disappear through conflict, like 90%, you know, what, what are some of the, you know, promising examples of resilience that you've seen? We maybe could talk a little bit more about what, what Gorongosa is, because that's one of the foremost examples. So this is a 4,000 square kilometer national park in Mozambique, where wildlife was driven almost to the point of being eliminated during the Mozambican Civil War in the 1980s and early 90s, where since the mid-2000s, there has been a concerted effort by the Mozambican government in, 
in conjunction with partners in the private sector and one NGO in particular to rehabilitate the whole ecosystem using, you know, science-based management principles and also trying to use that recovery of the, the national park to be an engine for economic development to help catalyze a regional transition out of poverty. And so that is when we talk about examples of resilience, Gorongosa is a great one because I've been going there, working there for the last 10 years. And even in that time, the transformation of the, the system has been remarkable from you know, a situation where things were clearly out of whack and animals were scarce to a place where animal populations are flourishing and there are lots of signs that the, the whole system is re-equilibrating. And that's just a 20 year process, right? Like when I was a kid, I internalized the message that once you lost you know, some piece of nature, that it was gone forever. And there is some truth to that, right? Because you can never literally resurrect something that was, but it, it's also a little bit misleading insofar as if you have still some fragment of what was left, you can actually grow it and tend it. And, and within a, well, within a human lifetime, it starts to resemble something that is beautiful and I think powerful, both, you know, in terms of like human perception and in terms of this functions that a, that a healthy ecosystem provides to people. So that's a great example. I mean, there are others. There's a great example in Northwest Costa Rica, the Area de Conservación Guanacaste in Costa Rica, where similarly from scattered patches of remnant forest that were left in an area that had been essentially cleared and burned for cattle pasture for centuries, there is now an unbroken protected area that stretches from you know several kilometers out to sea in the marine sector into coastal dry forest up into mid-elevation rainforest up into high elevation cloud forest and a spectacular beautiful place again you know there's there's some really striking photos of what it used to look like where places where they've maintained the the old historical fire regime to provide a side-by-side -side comparison you can go look you know there's this area that's just an open kind of pasture with invasive grasses and then right next door to it is this forest that has grown up in you know in the last 40 years it'll take hundred, couple hundred years, perhaps before that forest fully mature, fully at some kind of steady state, but it's nonetheless a forest, right? Looks, looks like forest, feels like forest, smells like forest, <laughs> has lots of forest animals in it. Th these are the kinds of things that I think give me hope. The examples that I want to highlight, right? I, I've, I've done work also on, on trying to kind of put numbers on the magnitude of the biodiversity crisis. And that there's a role for that, but there's, there are plenty of people doing that. And I think, you know, this is right now we're, we're starting the UN decade of restoration. And there's a reason for that, right? Our human footprint, as you said, is enormous, is planetary. There is no part of the earth that has escaped it, although the intensity is greater or lesser in different, different places. But there's a lot that we can do to, you know, rehabilitate damage systems and bring them back, make them healthy and whole again. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved with One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, please just click on that subscribe button. Thank you for listening.